Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. One day, Jesus was standing by Lake Gennesaret, and the crowd pressed in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats moored by the side of the lake. The fishers had disembarked and were washing their nets. Jesus stepped into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a short distance from the shore. Then, remaining seated, he continued to teach the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Pull out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Rabbi, we've been working hard all night long and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll lower the nets. Upon doing so, they caught such a great number of fish that their nets were at the breaking point. They signaled to their mates in the other boat to come and help them, and together they filled the two boats until they both nearly sank. After Simon saw what happened, he was filled with awe and fell down before Jesus, saying, Leave me, Rabbi, for I am a sinner. For Simon and his shipmates were astonished at the size of the catch they had made, as were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish among humankind. And when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kevin. You may be seated. Let's join together in prayer. Lord of... Lord of the deep waters, you call us from the safety of the shore to an adventure of the Spirit. Open wide our arms to embrace the world you so dared to serve. Jesus Christ, may we know, may we taste, may we follow your abundant life that is for all people. I pray that you would use the words of a broken man like me for your own glory. It's in the name of the Holy Trinity we pray. Amen. When we come to a passage like this, the overarching idea is that of following or receiving a calling on life. For those who are maybe not familiar or do not enjoy some of the Christian verbiage we put behind things, calling means, what am I doing with my life, in a nice word. Calling means, what should I do next? I should have a calling and I don't know if I have one. Calling often feels like chaos. Calling often seems like some place we're supposed to be and we're not there yet. And so it's covered with shame. Where am I going? What am I to do with my one precious life? What path am I to follow? These are all the things I believe the disciples and the crowd felt on this day as they listened to Christ's teaching and as they experienced and encountered him. I'm not exactly sure what calling is, and I've sat down with so many people to try to help them discern. We often turn it into there's door A and door B, and I just don't want to make the wrong decision. 
the more and more I learn about calling, the more and more I see that it's maybe not just making sure you get on the right path or choose the right door and get the biggest prize that this life can offer. But calling seems to be something in which we need to get to the depths of who we are and to encounter God at that place and to move into a life of wholeness and integrity. But it's easier said than done. For me, calling has often felt like a place I'm lost. I read um, a poem this week that um, around calling by David White. The poem is called The Bell and the Blackbird. And the image is an ancient one from Ireland of an Irish monk that's standing in the middle of a field. And as this Irish monk stands in the middle of the field, in the far reaches of that field is a blackbird that is calling. It is the image of adventure, of a world that is beyond the one in which he stands. It is an image that takes courage and to go beyond oneself, to really just go into this world bravely. He sees the blackbird. He hears its calling. At the same time, he hears a bell behind him from the monastery that is ringing for daily prayer. And he stands between those two places. The bell reminds him of his vows, his commitment to a life that maybe isn't as grand, but it is deeper. A life that calls to the the depths of who he is. So which way should he walk? Which calling is for him? To this, David Wright writes this poem, The Bell and the Blackbird. The sound of the bell still reverberating, or the blackbird calling from the corner of the field, asking you to wake into this life, or inviting you deeper to the one that waits. Either way takes courage. Either way takes courage. Either way wants you to be nothing but that self that is no self at all. Wants you to walk to the place where you find you already know how to give every last thing away. The approach, that is also the meeting itself. Without any meeting at all. That radiance you have always carried with you as you walk both alone and completely accompanied in friendship by every corner of the world crying hallelujah. I think when we think of calling in our own life, we feel some type of relationship to go beyond ourselves, to an adventure, to something new, And we feel that other calling of to go deeper into ourselves, to the life that we maybe have committed to or lived within. Both ways take courage. Well, this passage serves to kind of help give space and give words to that experience that happens within us all. 
I believe this passage serves as a way marker on the journey, leading us not to a perfect destination where we will arrive and feel complete, but as a journey that is deeper and further in and with others. And so we see these disciples. Peter has already met, Simon has already met Jesus. Um, He was at his house. He had been part of a little bit of healing. He's been listening to him teach. But he continues in his life of fishing. Continues, and he's been up probably most of the night, definitely the early of the morning, and he begins to wash his nets with others, just going through their daily routine in life. Jesus begins to teach, and a crowd surrounds And so Jesus steals a boat, maybe to project his voice, maybe because it was just a little too crowded for him and he just needed some space. The disciples are listening, and then Jesus does what Jesus does. He teaches not just with words, but he teaches with embodiment, he teaches with lesson, he teaches by bringing us deeper into the life we are already living. And he says these important things to these fishermen. He says, pull out into the deep and try casting your nets again. Pull out into the deeper water. Deeper water in this time would have been known as a water that is chaotic. It would have been known as a water that um, is scary. And Jesus says, go out into deep course the disciples are saying we already we've already done all this like thank you rabbi if you could please just stay in your lane that would be helpful but Peter listens he trusts Jesus and so he goes into the deep puts down his nets his very life and pulls up an abundance of life I think one of the first things that Jesus is teaching us in the journey of calling is one is that we need, if we want to know where we should go or where we are, we need to go to the depths of life. As Psalms 42 says, deep calls to deep. We have to do the deeper reflections, connect to the deeper part of who we are and where God meets us at our depths our deepest longing, our darkest fears, our deepest loss, the very ground level of our hope. These are often our far unspoken needs, wants, and desires. Because it is in the deep waters of life that we often feel the most vulnerable. But if we will not go to the deep waters, if we will not cast our life, our nets into the depths, into the very deeps of our own society, our own story, I don't think we're able to gather who we fully are. And we end up just moving from one relationship, one job, one calling, whatever is most exciting. But I think Jesus calls his friends to the deep. They've gotten to the end of themselves, right? I mean, they're literally washing their nets. The day is over. They have failed. It didn't go. And they're kind of fine with it. At the very end of themselves, Jesus says, let's go a little bit more. Let's go a little bit deeper. When's the last time you maybe felt like you came to the end of yourself? Your talent, your abilities, your knowledge. It's at that place that usually Jesus meets us and says, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. 
I spent this week, this is somewhat of a confession, I spent this week in Arizona with um, two high school friends who were both pastors as well. Um, it hurt when Lauren sent that it was negative six in Boulder. Um, I went ahead and sent a picture of myself in a hot tub with a corona um, just to <laughs> let her know I was praying for her. Um, there's something about spending time with these friends. We've Skyped each other every week, but uh, about every other week, but there's something being together. But the, these friends kind of know a depth of me that I've hidden from many others. Friendships, relationships, they're often that place that kind of brings out the depths of who we are. True friendships are the ones that ask those questions that bring out our true self, that challenge us a little bit. When we get to the end of ourselves, they ask us to just go a little bit deeper into our story. The disciples have gotten to their end, and Jesus calls them as a way forward, as a way of understanding their calling to go to the deep waters. So this is a calling to depth, if you want to know where to move forward. The second is, it is a calling of encounter, to deeply encounter Christ. Jesus starts his teaching, and the disciples are listening. Maybe he's sharing stories they've already heard at this time, but they're excited. They're on the in crowd. But Jesus isn't here to just teach. He wants to transform the way in which they live and the way in which they see the world, and so they encounter Christ. There is a deep difference at times between just information and transformation, between just getting teaching and encountering a teacher or a thing that teaches us in life. My friends, I believe in our Western world, and many would agree and actually probably have a lot of the science behind it, that we have become obsessed with understanding, and by that I mean with information, with teaching. I cannot get through a week hearing about the podcast that someone listened to, or sharing the one that I just downloaded, hoping that I could regurgitate it as information to other people. We are information freaks. That's why we like carry this thing like it's our best friend. Because it's, it's our connection to information, and if we have enough information, then maybe we'll make the right decisions Maybe we won't be shamed in this world. But Jesus goes a little bit deeper. It's not that information or teaching or facts are not are bad. They are extremely important. But so is a life lived in experience, in encounter with God. And so Jesus always brings both. Again and again, Jesus teaches. Jesus models, and Jesus invites us to follow, to embody the life. You may know a lot about what does it look like to serve others. You may even see how Jesus has modeled that in the gospel and taken that in. It's a whole different thing to encounter it with your own life. And so Jesus leads them to this encounter for the sake of transformation, 
Because in this transformation, in this place of encounter is the place in which God becomes embodied and touches humanity. God becomes embodied and walks a path and asks us to follow in his footsteps. God becomes embodied and gets down on his hands and knees and washes the dirty feet of his friends. God becomes embodied and takes in the perfume and the oil and the tears of a woman's story as she washes his feet. God becomes embodied and shares bread and wine in a feast with others. God becomes embodied in Christ and encounters suffering. One of the world's greatest teachers. These are encounters with God. In a conversation with Adam this week, he put it this way. Learning, like learning, information is opening doors to our life, and we should open as many doors and windows of information as possible. Facts are important, but encountering is walking into the room and turning the light on. So often, I think we live lives of information because the encounter demands so much vulnerability of us. And so they encounter Christ, not just his teaching, but can you imagine pulling in nets of fish that the boats begin to sink? Oh, how we've just like made the gospel not be as chaotic as it is. I've watched one man catch a fish and he screams like a seven-year-old girl. I can't even imagine what filling two boats fulls. And this isn't for hobby, this is for life. They're pulling in their job, their sustainability. Everything is coming in. Life is going to be okay as they pull these fish from the deep. They encounter a living and risen Jesus. And so we are called in our callings of life not to just think about what should I do, not just to make the list of pros and cons, but to encounter God in our world, to live it out. I think this looks like putting down our phones, leaving it at home, and walking in the woods to encounter the God that lives in our creation. I think it looks like, instead of reading about prayer or listening to another sermon about it, actually just sitting in silence for 10 minutes. I think it, it looks like worshiping together tasting bread and wine. I think it looks like dancing. I think it looks like creating. I think it looks like feasting. I think it looks like doing things with our life so that we encounter Christ, the living, living and risen Christ that is here around us instead of just studying him. And so we are called to the depths. We are called to an encounter, and I'll end with this. We are called to this abundance in which Jesus keeps offering again and again. Calling narratives in scripture typically begin with a reluctancy. Either because the task seems impossible or the person feels inept or both. This is how calling works in life. Moses argues with God about going to Egypt because he can't talk straight. I feel that. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6 looks at the angel comes and says, here's what I want you to do. And Isaiah says, but who am I? Reluctant. 
I'm reading a book called The Beloved Community, which is about the beginning of the civil rights movement. You know who was one of the most reluctant people to enter into it? Martin Luther King. He didn't want to do it for multiple reasons. He was more interested in about philosophy than he was actually engaging in what happened. But he embodied it. I remember living in Denver, lying in bed, and a small church in Boulder said, we'd love for you to come and be the pastor. And I laid there, and I remember clearly praying, I pray I don't get this chop. Mostly because of you all. But um, no, <laughs> I was so scared, and at times still am. Our callings begin usually with a place of reluctancy. Leave me, Rabbi, for I'm a sinner, he says. This is his first reaction. I don't think it's totally just out of shame. I think that Peter doesn't realize what God realizes. Peter hasn't come to grips with his own belovedness, but Christ sees it. See, Simon, he lacks in this story is, is a faith, not, not just in Jesus, but it, it's a faith in himself, his own capacity and worth in the eyes of God. The very idea that God would use an ordinary person, a mere fisherman, a young boy. These are not bearded old men, but probably 17-year-old boys who flunked out of rabbi school who comes from a poor family, God is calling him to accomplish God's purposes. God's story in the church, my friends, it is not a house of heroes. It is a house of mercy. It's our beginning place. And we feel the humbleness we feel the, get away from me, God. Don't look at me. Don't expect anything from me. I'm just so broken. But God and Christ will not turn God's eyes away. The calling to trust in the abundance of God starts with a posture of humility. It never usually leaves that place. It leads to a life of courage. You see, because it is these broken lives of ours that have been cracked open to receive the abundance and the jubilee of God's grace. And so Jesus does it again. He brings jubilee for all people. First, it's water into wine, not a glass, but just jugs of it. Healing, pro proclaiming freedom for the captive, for the outsider, a collective freedom for all people in creation. Fish, not one, but two boatfuls. See, Christ is inviting us, mere sinners, to the party. And we, when we ask, what should we wear? What gifts can we bring? What talents must we possess to show up to the dance? What titles can we earn so that we can live into this calling in this way in which you have? Jesus answers with, well, first, just do not fear. There's no place for fear in this party. And second, I want you to have a heart for all humans. To go take your skill, your gifting, and bring it as a gift to all of humanity. I've been reading a, um, an amazing book 
by the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II. For Black History Month, I would highly recommend reading anything or listening to anything that he says. But it turns some of these gospel things that I've heard a million times, and it turns them upside down. At the very end, the disciples say this, we, they left everything and followed him. They left it all. They left all the fish on the shore. They left everything they had, and they just went and followed Jesus. From the privileged mindset, the one I usually come from, the idea is that, okay, I need to sacrifice everything in my life and follow God because this is my calling. And there's parts of that in scripture in which to the rich young ruler, he says, yeah, just get rid of all that stuff and then you can follow me. There is a freedom in letting go of the fish that are on the shore and saying, you know what, that is security, but I want abundance. And so I'm gonna follow. The privileged mind says, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice everything, empty the bank account. But what if, what if to Peter, to the poor man, to the man who had been rejected by society in many ways. God is not saying you need to get rid of everything, but he's saying you already have it. You have everything you need to live into my calling for you. See, the gospel, I believe, and the callings of Christ are empowering people where they are. Jesus sends his disciples two by two and says, don't take anything with you. Not so that they walk through the city poor. I think he says, no, don't take anything with you because you have enough. He is empowering a people who felt like they had no power because they didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough titles. And he's saying, no, you've already got it. You've got what God, through God's grace, you've got what you need to transform this world. Now go and move. We're always thinking we need one more thing before we take that courageous step. But to this, God is saying, no, this broken, beloved place you're at, you have it all, and I am with you. To Moses, he goes to the very center of power, and you know what he brings? A stick, just a, just a stick. That's all he had. It's because he didn't need more, because Moses was reliant on God's grace and presence. And he brings that to the very rich and to the power of its day. And he proclaims good news for all people. Friends, our calling in life is not based on the goods, the bank accounts, the titles, or even the beautiful talents that we have worked so hard to craft. I believe that our calling is found in going to the very depths of our own being, our own story encountering a living God in that place so that she may transform us at the core of our true self. The Spirit may look upon us and say, you are my beloved, and that is all you need to pack with you as you go into this world as a parent, as you go into this world as a student, as you go into this world as an activist. Take with you the belovedness in which I have given you and leads us into an abundant life for all humanity. I love the idea of leaving the fish away, not so that he walks away, because I actually think the crowd that was listening maybe went and grabbed a few fish because they were hungry. Jesus always has a way to provide for others. And so should we, call, should we follow the call of the bell or the blackbird? 
Jesus says, yes. Yes. It will be the most courageous work that you will do, and I will be with you, and that's all that you need. And every corner of this world will be crying together, hallelujah. Hallelujah.